Ladies and gentlemen, you found yourself at First Issue Club. And why have you found yourself here? Well, one thing's for sure. You don't hate comic books. That'd be a weird reason to listen to a comic book podcast, where each week we talk about three really fun new first issues. Oh boy, I can't wait to share my thoughts on these, along with our club of first issue comic book experts. What books are we going to talk about this week? We have Bully Wars from Image, mm. War Bears from Dark Horse, and Border Town from Vertigo. Caitlin, thank you so much for your concise breakdown <laughs> of the three books we'll be talking through today. I want to meet everyone in the club before we get too, too far here. So if we could go around, say your name, and tell me, since we're covering a book about bullies, what's your most bullyable quality? Why would someone pick on you as an adult or as a child? I'll start. My name is Caitlin, and my most bullyable quality, I think, would just be my earnestness in which I do things. I just get genuinely into things sometimes, and it's not uh, things that people should care a whole lot about, or at least you should, like when you're a kid, pretend not to care a whole lot about it. So I was just way into school, way into being a good kid, (laughs) making people proud of me, and I think... (laughs) It was super bullyable. It's it is so easy to pick on someone who cares so much yes. about you. You're making me want to bully you right now. <laughs> I know, I can't help it. And I would genuinely care and be upset if you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're you're the easiest type of person to bully because if you say you love something, all I have to do is be like, I love this thing. <laughs> I just repeat it back to you in a dumb voice, and you're immediately bullied. To this day, when people tell me that they don't like something I have just said I like, I'm like, no one cares what you don't like. (laughs) I get so mad. Oh, me. Okay. Hey. (laughs) Our cues are just so I'm Heather. I've had a lot of really cool moments in my lifetime. (laughs) When I was in (laughs) middle school, though, so I went to a Catholic school where I had to wear a uniform, but I was very interested in different types of clothes when I wasn't in school. And my mom would cater into this and let me pick out patterns at the fabric store and then the material that I would like her to make me things out of. (laughs) I also only like to wear umbro shorts on the bottom half. So (laughs) everything she'd make for me would be like weird, like space print baseball tops. (laughs) And I would wear them with my shorts. So it was like. Weird sporty fashion tomboy so cool on now. the weekends. Oh yeah. <laughs> so and I'm then plaid sure. schoolgirl during the week. <laughs> Is that one of those situations where like when you think about it, your mom was like so cool for doing that for you? Uh-huh. But are you like, why, why did you do that? Yeah, exactly. Totally. It, yeah. It's like the the parent that lets their kid put on like the most mismatched clothes and yes. like you do you. Mm-hmm. But my mom let me design them on some level that was like, oh, you want something that's not viable? I got you, girl. I'll make it. <laughs> Live from the Fudge Mansion, this is Matt. Um, hold up. I got bullied a lot for picking my nose when I was a kid. Uh, but now I have an extra bone in my arm that no one else has. I guess that's bullyable. Both arms or just one arm? Just one arm. It's just right here. It's called a what you, what? sterilized osteocaldroma. How Sounds common. like an old Star Wars character. Yeah. <laughs> it does. I'm picturing a situation where you would be bullied for that, and it's a doctor who's got you under an x-ray, and he's like, nurse, come over here. 
Sure got this fucking loser. Look at this, only, this, yeah. Look at this dumb bone dangling in his body that is like doesn't even need. Like what a stupid uh, bone and a stupid person that has the bone in him. For sure. It's, it's a doctor bully thing yeah. scenario. Doctor Bully. Oh, I Dr. love Doctor Bully. Dr. Bully. Dr. Yes. What a good character. New comic. Yeah, new comic. Doctor Bully. Doctor Bully. Just berates his patients. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm uh, Mike D. Very fortunate that I made it through a lot of school where I I never had to take my shoes off. But ultimately, when you get into junior high and high school, you got to change for gym, put on gym shoes. And lo and behold, my 100% completely webbed toes became apparent to (laughs) everybody. Um, So then it becomes, you know, sea creature Mike over here. And um, these were... Pretty hard years for me. <laughs> Did you ever pretend you had a superpower with your web toes? That you could swim faster than other kids? I, I feel like I just <laughs> dreamed that they weren't there. <laughs> I didn't want them. I didn't ask for this, Matt. <laughs> Do you still have them? Or did you clip them? We just have questions. I had one night where I just fucking had enough and I got some scissors out. Oh, knife. Blood all over the bathtub. Mm. And I beat those toes. I beat those toes. <laughs> beat those toes. <laughs> Let's get this podcast started. <laughs> First up, we have Bully Wars from Image. Words and art by Young and Conley. Spencer, Edith, and Ernie are dweebs by any school kid standard, but they're bit parts despite what the primer is going to tell you because Rufus is the big bully in a small pond who finds himself a target of other bigger bullies like Hawk, and now he needs help from his previous targets to win what is called the Bully Wars. Bully Wars itself doesn't really get explained too much in this book, but you can kind of guess that it's an invitation-only competition (laughs) of all of these bullies in this school at um, Rottenville High, because that's the town. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Of which the mascot is a rat. Aside from that, though, I kind of feel like I maybe missed the boat on this one, so I want to know what you guys thought about it. It It was fun for what it was, but I just don't know that I would go for this kind of book. I fucking love this book. <laughs> good, good, yeah. good. I thought it was so good. I mean, the plot's, like, negligible. It's not yeah, the type of thing think- that you pick up because someone's going to be like, hey, here's this plot about three kids. They go to high school with this bully who used to bully them, and now he's getting bullied, and they're in this town called Rottenville, and already you're like, ugh, I don't care. Yep. But That's kind of why, that's where I dropped off, though. I want to hear why, what it turned around. Because the art was so good. Well, and my big thing was, yeah, one, the art's fun, and it's got this, like, old kind of vintage campy feel that um, I love about old things like Mad Magazine and stuff like that with, like, the super neons and all this crazy stuff. But the fact that, like, the bully becomes the main character and the guy you're rooting for by the end of it. Yeah. What a that that was different for me. That yeah, was something yeah. that I didn't expect. I was just like, eh, it's going to be another like bully trope thing," and it turned out to be 
Don't you think bullies become bullies because they've been bullied? Yeah, by somebody, like someone or other. Well, that's kind of one of the things I loved about this book was it's playing with this sort of fun idea of like there's this natural order of things. So like when the book is first starting out, we're introducing these three main characters who are getting bullied. And I loved, loved the dialogue between them and their old bully because they, they're just taking it in stride. And, and, and he keeps trying to bully them, and they just don't even care yeah. really anymore. And I think part of that is because in this town of Rottenville, it's like the natural order. So they're just like, yep, you're bullying us like you always do. Yeah. At one point, he's like, it's in your jeans. And the guy's like, jeans, dibbly, I don't know what the fuck that is. Yeah. And he's like, exactly. And they're just, they're used to that lot in life. And then when it flips and the bully is being bullied, he like can't handle it. Because it's not part of the natural order. And he's yeah. like, this is not how the power structure is supposed to work here. And I sort of loved that idea of like, uh, you know, for people in power, when they lose it, they can't handle it. Whereas for people who have never had power, it's just like business as usual. They And you know? like towards the end, they are going to try to help him get his status back. Yeah. Almost restoring that order Yeah, to your point. Because well, I, I, I was also confused at that. I was like, why are you going to help him? So I think it goes back to what I was saying in that at the beginning, even though they're being bullied, I think even in that moment they feel sorry for him because they're like, this is just part of who you are. You don't have a choice to be a bully. Like something about Rottenville. At one point he says, you know, like more bullies per capita than any other town <laughs> in the world. There's something about the system of Rottenville where it's like, if you're a bully, you just have to be. And I think they feel bad for him. And that's why they're going to help him. Because it's like your lot in life is to be the shitty person. See, I tried beats. to imagine their life like when they were younger. And I was like, oh, you guys were probably all friends in like second grade. Yeah, there was and a then, falling out. Yeah, and then there was a falling out. And he became a bully and started bullying them. But the reason they're like, hey, maybe we'll help you is because they have some sort of like allegiance yeah, they towards remember. him kind of. Yeah, that totally could be for sure. The other thing about the art... The coloring in this is just phenomenal, and and what I loved about what I loved about it is not a lot of comics can actually pull this off, where the art, the coloring, the story, and everything that the story is trying to convey all come together to convey one like singular feeling, which is like this is set in Rottenville, and we're going through puberty, and like all the coloring in this is like based in really like puke green mm-hmm. and like sort of nasty like purple coloring, and then everything is built out from there, and it all fits together to sort of like you look at the page, and even though it's like cool and beautiful in some way, it also like conveys this sort of like icky, sticky feeling, mm-hmm. and I loved that. I thought it was so well done. Like some of the bullies even kind of look greasy. Yes. <laughs> And zitty and yeah. Oh, and the guy's shirt that's like a kiss shirt, but it says zits. Yeah, yeah. I didn't awesome. notice that. <laughs> I what saw it that said. and I was like, I want that shirt. That's too <laughs> funny. So, what do you guys think though about? So this book's uh, supposed to be funny. It's like a fun comedy romp. Did it get you? Were you LOLing at all? Was it actually funny? I think enough of the dialogue was maybe not LOL funny, but it was funny. I, I laughed out loud. Did you really? On one, just one part, the two-panel spread where he he spits the, like, bubble gum at the kid oh. and turns him into, like, a bubble gum monster. <laughs> yep. The way the paneling is done, the way it's paced, the movement, the, like, expressiveness of the faces, fucking hilarious. I loved it. <laughs> I laughed when it's when they duct-taped him to the lockers and it says Cretan, but mostly because I was like, what kids are these? <laughs> yeah. Who's like, oh, what a Cretan? We've got to spray paint that to 
tell him how much of a cretin we think he is because we use that word on a regular basis. <laughs> All the faces in this are yeah. so good. <laughs> so I, I think I mentioned that the most interesting thing to me was that the bully became the main character. But p- p- I think part of the problem that I had with this book was that with a title like Bully Wars and they're setting up the intriguing idea of Bully Wars, like, I'm like, what? is that like we didn't get to the interesting thing yet which maybe bodes well for this book the first one is all kind of set up and then we're going to get into bully wars which i'm in my head is just like a hunger games yes of Of bullies bullies. yes that's what i was hoping to but i had no idea i'm imagining some like crazy like harry potter hogwarts challenge what was the one with the (laughs) cup Uh, Goblet of Fire. Goblet of Fire. Fire. Like some sort of like crazy Triwizard Challenge. (laughs) Tournament. (laughs) Tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Correction. (laughs) I know I could throw to these nerds. I've been rewatching. Okay. (laughs) I will say this. One of the things that really endeared me to this book, Scotty Young is a pretty Mm well-known comics writer. Uh, When you go to the shop, he's a name you look out for. And this could have just been thrown together and it could have been a whatever thing for him. And whether or not this grabs you or doesn't, which I can totally understand if it doesn't grab you, it's very clear that a lot of time and effort and heart was put into this. And for me, when a lot of heart and effort and time is put into something really stupid, I immediately <laughs> am going to fall in love with it. Yeah. Like, I just love that. I love uh, uh, effort and labor being put towards frivolity um, in anything, especially comics. It's well put. Do you think, when he says, do you think bring the Rufus is like bring the ruckus? Because he was like, that's a good catchphrase. Yeah. And I was like, is that what they're going for right now? Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. They do. (laughs) What would yours be? (laughs) I have no clue. What would yours be? (laughs) Zadadadadad punched. Next up, we have War Bears from Dark Horse, but words and art by Atwood and Stacy. And that's Stacey. Margaret Atwood. Yes. Of Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale fame. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, this story is straight out of like 40s war propaganda, whilst also including actual war propaganda. Alan uh, Zurichowski is a French Russian cartoonist who is starting out by making his mark with werebear, allied fighter, our sonnet, complete with alter ego, sensuality, and rising Canadian comics popularity. He is a bit of a hothead, though. You see him deal with some personal and family issues as well as professional issues. He's maybe a little bit too close to this story. It's a period piece, so we know it's a good thing that Budget King is not here because he would have hit it. Um, it's a little inside joke for all yeah. you new listeners. <laughs> but it was, it was, the art was incredibly detailed. When it goes to the straight black and white, which you kind of get in the primer at the beginning from the, the artists, the creators, it's, it was a little overwhelming almost, which I thought was interesting to have just the black and white, like without all the color and the layer to that, be yeah. more overwhelming when it switches over. But the art was fantastic. And I did like that they put the primer in the front, like the artist notes and the editor's notes in the front this time to give you that context as you're reading through it. I did not read that. I think giving, <laughs> I think giving people context before they read a thing is kind of cheating. I don't 
don't think that it had uh, that much context about what the comic book was going to be. I like, think having, it had a lot of context for what I wanted it to be about. Yeah. And then it wasn't about and then it. Was. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that little bitty sliver where they talk about the black and whites and this cartoonist, and then that's the rest of it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. So I'm going to take a benefit of the doubt approach on this book and say if the introduction is indicative of things to come, I'm really excited for issue two. Because what I think is really interesting about that introduction is it talks a lot about how Canadian comics were really important during this period, and then they got completely overtaken by American comics after World War II ended, and Canadian comics sort of disappeared. And if this book is going to start delving into this sort of territory of talking about how American comics, like most things in America, completely overshadow the possibility of other comics from other countries becoming popular, that really fascinates me. But this comic didn't do that. I have this problem consistently with these books that are meant to be an homage to the comic form. That it's oftentimes writers who don't traditionally write comic books. And then they write this old-timey thing about this kid with chutzpah who wants to make it draw on his make-em-ups. And then at the end... He makes the thing. Where was the conflict in this book? Like, there's no ob- tension. Obviously, obviously, there's a little bit of like some dips and dives on the way there, but there's zero tension. Yep. There is like nothing that I'm just like. He hasn't really overcame anything. He stumbled into a place and was like, "I want a job." He's got a job. He got his dream by the end of the book. Yeah, and but- I, I I think part of what this book, what it was trying to grab you on or grab me on, I felt like was this feminist type things where like guess what the owner of this comic publisher it's a woman surprise do you love my book now yeah and i'm like <laughs> been done we've had the surprise a woman's the boss thing for like the last five years it's yeah. not surprising anymore right and it's not gonna make the whole book good and then we have this like he's writing a book about a woman who's a bear who's gonna kill hitler and it's like uh women can fight too we know great and one of the one of the weird things about it too was like, so this illustrator got favored over the other one because he drew women a, better. S- yeah, he drew like a sexier woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not like a more realistic looking woman, but like a more exciting woman. Isn't isn't Doesn't that how she they say put he it? has she? It has more vavoom or more something. Vavoom. Yes. Yeah. Are we maybe then, supposed to hate this guy? Well. <laughs> I think we are. See, I didn't necessarily think that because I completely agree <laughs> that I think they were trying to be like, woo, feminist, like all the men are at war and women are taken over, like we're going to uh-huh. be publishers and we're going to stomp on these men at work because clearly she's sleeping with her yeah, but underlings he's like, and he's yes. probably attracted to her. And then you have this war bear that's a woman that saves everyone. And then but like, a man he, came up with the but, character but that's he's the kind woman of that saves like, everyone? He's kind of, I don't want to say he's a little bit feminine too, uh-huh. but like the dad continually talks about like, oh, you like comics and yeah. girly things and yeah. your, your in, other in, brothers are off at war. In case you didn't know the dad was masculine, <laughs> he has a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. And he's wearing a wife beater. Yeah. <laughs> so like I, I think in some sort of way the illustrator is supposed to kind of fit in with that femininity the, of the other... Yeah. The interesting thing, too, though, about the boss is that, so yeah, she is choosing a more sexualized, sensual character over maybe not as an exciting, 
objectified character, but she's also sleeping with that guy. And yeah, I think the, like, primary illustrator. Yes, the primary illustrator who is also sleeping with other women in the office. Yeah. And if she's this like powerful boss, she I'm assuming she would know that. So it's it's like it's a weird I didn't really take it as like, oh, this is feminism in your face in a time that it wasn't really popular. Isn't this shocking? But the the cartoonist too, our main character, like he's overly attaching himself to this boss, almost like possessing her. I don't think we're supposed to like him. Because then he gets drunk. He had kind of attacks the the primary illustrator of this company and the boss. And he's kind of like out of his head being like, she's my girl, you stole her. And he's I kind thought of when crazy. he was talking about my girl, you stole her, he was talking about the girl in his illustration. Yeah. That makes Not much her. more sense now. <laughs> if I'm supposed to hate him, I think I like this comic a little bit more. Yeah. But then it should have been more clear through the writing that I'm supposed to hate him. I agree. That's a way more interesting dynamic if this guy's the bad guy. But so totally reads like we're supposed to feel compassion for him. Yeah. With like the jerk dad and he's the peewee sensitive wimp type. He's got and, flat feet and asthma and kind of mm-hmm. war. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's like such the classic archetype of a nerd character that we're supposed to root for. Is it possible that we just don't understand this because we're not Canadian? <laughs> I don't know. Canadian representation is sorely lacking on first century. <laughs> this is true. Here's my prediction. This is going to be like a 40s era Mad Men, and Maybe. it's just going to be like inner office relationships and weave in political themes of the time and news of the time, and we're just going to use these people as pillars to tell those stories. So I could, I'll say this. We could all be eating crow in a year and a half when the trade comes out on this. And as a complete story, it's suddenly brilliant. Yeah. And that's sort of the thing with first issues. And that's why what makes this show so interesting is we don't have a finished product. We're just judging off the first of the first of the first act, Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times, especially people who are as talented as Margaret Atwood, please don't hate us. (laughs) uh, Or Ken Stacy. Yeah. They need time to really flesh out everything they want to do. To yeah. make a complete picture because that's how they've thought of it in their head. Mm-hmm. So we might all be eating crow when yep. the trade comes out. So last up today, we've got Border Town out on Vertigo Comics, an imprint of DC Comics. This has words and art by Esquivel and Villalobos. A lot going on in this comic. I kind of want to just like get into it. I'll say that there is a rift in the border wall which transports creatures from another dimension who are personified fears and bigotry. Well, but they also they're, they're from a specific dimension, which is the Aztec afterworld. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah, coming yeah. out they're, into they're, the so town of they're Devil's from Fork. Myth. They're real, like old mythical Aztec. So we're going to see other Aztec mythological characters throughout this story, and we're, we're taking... One would assume. Yeah, we're taking that world as canon in this storyline. Can we go back to the very first line, though? <laughs> yeah, let's hit it up. Which is, <laughs> the American dream is dead. Great way to start off. Trump quote. Comic book. It's a Trump quote. We're Trump making, said that. We're making chupacabras cute again. 
in this book. <laughs> That's true. There's some real scumbags. We're coming after a certain type of American in this book for sure. Yeah. And There's Make America Great Again on the first page. Yep. We're getting the worst of the worst. There's like a neo-Nazi teenager in this too. Yeah. Cra- crazy stuff. There's I- definitely the parallel of the borders, like the border for the afterworld and reality for yeah. us. And there's the border of an us versus them for like the alt-right in anybody who's different than them. <laughs> and, and then um, the humans border. and the little uh, afterworld mythical creatures. creatures. Yeah. Well, and it seems like they're leaving their world out of fear and like orders to complete some sort of mission. Because when he comes back at the end, the little chupacabra, the the ruler of that afterworld is or underworld is like, you messed up. And then it's like, oh, it realizes why it, it left. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what, remember, I feel like Frank kind of foreshadowed that. Because remember, they're in the U-Haul and he says something that sort of references that you're not always like running to something. Yes. Sometimes you're running away from something. Yeah. So let's talk about who Frank is. Francisco. At the beginning of the comic, there's there's some people hunting Mexicans trying to cross the border into America. We find a family moving to Arizona, and there is a son uh, who is uh, half Hispanic who's going to be going to this new high school in town. I had a hard time pinning this character. (laughs) There's... He gets picked on, and then there's another scene where he's, like, beating the shit out of somebody. He's making friends really easy. Which, but that was kind of... of, Oh, no, you're... you're (laughs) I was going to be, like, most of this book Uh felt like it was just a setup for us to see a neo-Nazi get the shit kicked out of him. (laughs) Yeah. Payoff? (laughs) I, I, I don't know. I think there's maybe a little... There's obviously some themes that aren't so subtle. Yeah. I'll say that. There's a certain amount of rock and roll to it and a certain amount of unknown. Well, there's this panel that seems to imply that these a lot of the social ills that we are facing, Tiki Torch neo-Nazis, ICE rounding up. Uh, urban um, teenagers. Yeah, the hooded Yeah, quote-unquote urban teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a lot of these horrors are actually supernatural, that they are coming from the other side. Is that maybe the mission of these underworld? Is that what it's, like, trying I to will, say maybe this is... We don't know yet. I could I could um, certainly see that, and I don't know if that's, like, hey, this is the, you know, land that you bought for way too low of a price and essentially <laughs> stole from our people, so now the gods of old are coming back to, like, incite chaos here. Yeah, like play mm-hmm. on your fears mm-hmm. until you kill off each other and yeah. then we can take our land back. Right. Here's one thing that I thought was interesting about this book. It's actually kind of f- fucking hilarious. Like there are some parts in here that are really, really funny. Like it comes out so strong on the Trump thing and then it it sort of keeps hammering back to the current state of political things, especially for people who are either from Mexico or brown-skinned in general in this country. But Alongside that is actually a lot of funny stuff. A lot of really fun, like, comics drawing. You know, like, when they fist bump, there's, like, this giant word bubble that says fist bump. Mm-hmm. But this, like, big star thing. There's a lot of, like, the way that they talk is jokey. 
Uh, the Devil's Fork sign says, but it's a dry heat. Yeah. At the end, the, like, Lord of the Dead is like, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's actually really fun. And so I think what's really interesting about this is sort of maybe it's trying to uh, do this th- this idea of, like, joy as resistance um, in that, like, even though it's dealing with very heavy-handed political issues, there's actually a lot of fun and lighthearted joy in the way it's trying to do that. And I think that's actually going to be something that grows and grows throughout the series. And I think this is looking back like two or three issues from now, we're going to be like, this thing is fucking hilarious and fun to read. Yep. Um, Even though at the same time it is dealing with these very serious issues. There's even one panel where the manifesting is the people's fears. There's a kid with a Batman hat on and his fear is Bane. Yeah. (laughs) Just like little things that are like, oh man, urban teenagers, Tiki Torch Nazis, Bane. Like that was pretty funny too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also very playful. There's a shot of this like old mat, like woman who's maybe magical and she's got her shop. There's the Sandman mask is in there. I was kind of wondering maybe if this is in the same Sandman universe since it's on Vertigo. Oh, I think maybe right. like a little Wonder Woman portal. figurine back there too in one of the glass cases. Yeah, and with the Batman and the Bane thing. Yeah, I don't know if she opened the portal, but I did forget about her um, until I was reflipping through right now, and she's got. Ha- I want her to have a purpose. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's they like, say what, the that she's person? maybe maybe this town's only hope at this point. What did you think of uh, translating the Spanish? I didn't like that they put, like, the Espanol thing. I didn't like it either. Oh, say- Just leave the Spanish in. Yeah. I just feel like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity to invite people who are Spanish-speaking into the comic books wor- into the comic book world because there's so few opportunities for that. And if you have just a few panels in your book that are just untranslated Spanish, that's an opportunity to say, hey, this is for you. Yeah, You know, this is mention- a book that... that, that I that, that is inviting for you. I I understand that, but you're also saying that these characters are non-crucial. That mm. by ma- making part of it a story that cannot be told to some people means that there's only so much you can do with those characters, in my opinion. Mm. And you know, maybe there's a point at which where like, oh, I've I've carried through enough through, like, four issues to understand just generally, like, what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But to your readers who don't speak that language, those characters are going to lack depth. And you can use that as a device, maybe, to create empathy for those characters when things happen to them after you've gotten familiar with them. But that's that's pretty high concept, I think, for some of the, yeah. like, the fun story they're trying I mean, to tell. I mean, that's such a tough position to put you in as a writer, though. Because if yeah. you are a writer who maybe wanted to leave just straight Spanish in your book, it's like you don't even get that opportunity because the majority yeah. of comic book readers are English-speaking. It's yeah. like... Well, and if you're going to throw in words like blue, uh, brujeria and, like, la curandera, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, is that... Are you supposed mm-hmm. to expect that... English speakers are going to be like, okay, context can give me enough of what that is, and I don't need it. But then I get the nice little Espanol thing that tells me she's really speaking in Spanish, but I don't have to do the work of, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though. If you want us to pay it, attention as non-Spanish speakers, we do have to know what she's saying because she's not in the rest of the book. But then it's, like, such a presumption of who the readership of comics should be. Yeah. You're essentially saying, like, well, then the comic, the... Majority of readers should we should just assume that they're English, 
I, I just w- I wish there was a happy middle ground. Maybe we could have maybe comics that are fully in Spanish and there's translations in the back that we as English speakers can go back and forth and, and learn a little bit about how to speak Spanish. But it'd be good if there's an opportunity for writers who maybe want to do that to have that option. Of like, okay, so my, my sisters are half uh, Mexican and their dad um, was an immigrant from Mexico. Yeah. And like interacting with his family and stuff, a lot of things like culturally they get where they even speak some uh-huh. random form of, I mean, what is it, Spanglish? I know that's yeah, like a right. slang term, but it's like they'll speak to you in English, but then there's still random Spanish words thrown in there. Like I don't necessarily see it as trying to cater to different audiences, but just yeah. giving you authentic verbiage of how that person would have actually spoke. I really like this book. How cute is this Chupacabra, though? So cute. Chup is adorable. Um, I still I like, feel for him, right? Are we supposed to feel for these characters? Yeah. The, I, I think we the, got the big guy with just, the lucha mask, too. Are just too. little minions. I think so, too. They are. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because he's scared, and they've got, ma- they've got like, muzzles on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy, did we talk comics. It's what we do on the podcast called First Issue Club, and we did, did, did that thing. <laughs> Uh, so good for us. <laughs> That's all, folks. Round of, round of applause. <laughs> 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 Finished. Oh, I cringed because I thought you were going to punch me. I'm not going to punch you. Uh, I There's no violence in the Fudge Mansion. Hit <laughs> in the Fudge Mansion. Our show is produced by one of our club members today. Matt Hodap, have fun editing this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna leave it? You saying it? Is yep. that <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, we've got music by Primary Colors. Music we record in the beautiful Fudge Mansion that is KCUR Studios in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and we are part of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Uh, it's always so uh, bittersweet to say goodbye, but we've reached the end of another episode, and we've got to do it. Folks, I've been Mike to stay seeing. I just wanna say so long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I am Caitlin Morosic and I will show myself out. I'm Heather Coakley. It was nice to be here again. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I have been Matt Hodap and I never will be again. <laughs> Greg. Bye.